Hello and welcome back to Let's Grow Girls, your favourite cut flower podcast. We hope. We do hope. <laughs> this week <laughs> we are joined by Rebecca from Silver Grey Foliage, which is based near Leeds in the UK. Rebecca runs the farm with her husband Anthony and they started out with a quest to grow scented seasonal flowers despite having no formal training between them. And they loved growing eucalyptus so much they named their business after it. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the uh, early Sunday morning start as well. It's uh, I'm sure it's not early for a flower farmer at this time in the morning, 10am, but I am normally tucked up, I will admit. Um, it's not too early for us we have kids um so we up our breakfasted um at sundays that's fair enough are they uh are they young children um they are they're together in a not so young that they need constant entertainment not old enough to not need us they're not old enough to not really help on the farm i guess um no they help um they do now they love a parasitic who cuts stuff back with permission <laughs> um it's a lot of gardening of the guide and they love steaks and things now so sometimes they're really useful oh. a wheelbarrow race is also <laughs> you gotta you gotta know your jobs for children that age haven't you yeah yeah that's good um, so before we get started, we have our very first question for you, which I'm going to just start again. Sarah, do you want to do that bit? Yeah, sure. So before we get to the flowery grilling, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your growing space? Yeah, so I am Anne Rebecca. Um, I started Silver Grey Foliage with Anthony in 2019. My background is not horticultural at all. Um, so my background is in emergency medicine and oh, wow. um, medical law. So I'm an A&E consultant. Um, I've done historically um, a bit of medical legal assistance um, for doctors in difficulty. And at one point I was working from home for those jobs and a friend had just asked us to do her wedding flowers from our garden. And she even did eucalyptus in August, which I found out wasn't in season. We didn't grow it. Bryce just told me I was going to struggle to get good quality foliage at that time of the year. Any other normal person, I started looking into how to grow it so that I could grow it for myself by the August. It was February and we were hoping for the August wedding. <laughs> so it was just for the face. Um, it's quite around that. Well, it's incredibly naive. Um, I didn't know anything about growing eucalyptus or much else, to be honest. And so I called Hillary. Hillary is hardy eucalyptus. And she is based in Worcestershire, grows eucalyptus um, for lots of bough farmers in the UK um, and also for landscaping projects and people around the world, really. She's um, a big grower. But she's really lovely. It was really helpful. And we talked once or twice about what we could grow. And that's really how it started. Um, it's not really what most people would do, I don't think. I think if you want to grow cut flowers um, for a friend's wedding, you might start with a bit of any majors mm. or cosmos. Um, cosmos. maybe some cosmos yeah. or, or <laughs> calendula. Because I heard from the florist I was speaking to um, that it was poor quality um, when it arrived, that they were wasting lots of foliage mm. and that they really wanted better quality foliage and more of it to be coming. So that's why we started with foliage um, and I guess like many people we were also quite naive as to the colours so we thought that all silver grey foliage um, was eucalyptus um, hence the name of our business but what we've learned is that eucalyptus greens and greys and dark greens and, and silvers uh, it's a beautiful foliage with varied shapes and sizes 
lots of that knowledge came from this early conversation here. So we talked about eucalyptus, we dug up half the garden, we planted 20 eucalyptus in the garden um, in 2019. We decided we were going to set up a flower farm purely off the back of a friend asking us to do our wedding flowers. And then I decided that being able to have a few cut flowers wasn't enough, so I needed to grow more when looking for a farm. <laughs> As you do. No, as you do. Yeah. Um, so we live in Leeds. Um, we are very urban. We're heading Leeds. So we're a stone's throw from the cricket grounds. We have the Ockley Run running past the end of our road. The Ockley Run that is um, a pub crawl. So we're really... Yeah, Leeds isn't known for its green spaces, is it, really? Oh, <laughs> um, so it's not absolutely known for its green spaces. But it's it got some spots. at the university. And because you can be in the centre, there's not much greenery, but you can drive for 10 minutes out of the city and you're all of a sudden countryside it's ne- you're never too far away from green lands but there's definitely not fields on our doorstep that we can rent um so we're looking for a farmer and um, he was going to let me rent his lands and most of them said no um in fact all of them said no and so i was trying to get home from work one day in a suit with heels and saw a farmer in a field and stopped the car through the over to the gates i went over the gates over my dress so it was a kind of a-line dress <laughs> oh wasn't God. dainty in heels across the field to the farmer he stopped his tractor and looked at me like it was totally nuts and said is this your field yes it is my field i replied can i grow flowers in your field and he said no but i do have a field that you might want to consider and that's how we found the land that we now use ah see you do get somewhere by asking and asking and asking it's my uh my dad's philosophy if you don't ask you don't get so clearly it worked out for you and it worked out for us but i met him a few days later he showed us an acre of land and I thought I don't know what to do with an acre of land could we maybe have half of that and so we began we went off half an acre we covered some of it up we tried to plow some of it and realized that the grass was much stronger than anything <laughs> that we were going to grow um, we had many a disaster in that first year which was shielded in some ways by COVID um, because it's 2020 by then yeah. So a lot of those kind of growing disasters weren't going to go very far with kind of the other job in tow. Were you working in the hospital during that as well? Yeah, so I worked in the hospital. Um, so I bet there must have been a bit of an escape, really, getting your hands in the in the dirt. It was definitely a challenge, and being able to go up to the field and try and grow some flowers in it was definitely a way of escaping both for us, but it was also a real privilege for the children to have that space that was ours, where we knew we weren't going to contaminate anyone mm. or get into trouble and fish sharing space so we were really lucky to have that space outside to go to and to work in and it wasn't really until the end of 2020 when we had a, a decent layout in the field and um, as an idea about how much we could cultivate in one go and just that realization that we were going to have to do a section by section so we divided the field up covered an awful lot of land set up no dig beds in part of it um, and those parts we have then turned from annuals to foliage or annuals to perennials so the annuals have really helped us to kind of cultivate the land and, and get roots in turn the soil over and make it lovely and strong without having to dig it um, so that we can first of all get long-term plants 2021 came we had bed spaces which was fantastic we were ready to grow things we have a greenhouse in the garden that's where we do all of our propagating it was fantastic we grew we grew a ton of flowers but we hadn't 
worked out how to sell them, which obviously isn't ideal. And so we made that classic mistake of realizing that we could grow, having space to grow in and setting up the space well, growing lots, but not finding customers to sell them to or working out how to best do that. So 2021 was great in that we realized that we could grow. Um, but it wasn't fantastic in terms of sales or in terms of business model. Which led us to last year where we knew as pro, we developed a bit more of the field. We really worked over the winter and the summer on selling our flowers. And that was with the assistance of the business of putting flowers. So Paula and Claire and Karen with fabulous. I think that's a, a lot of things that flower farmers struggle with is the <laughs> the fact they can grow. Some things are easier to grow than others, right? But it's the what do you do with all the flowers once you've got them if you haven't got an automatic outlet and mm. i think you found a couple of different ways of getting your flowers out to the world haven't you now um, we have absolutely so we sell predominantly wholesale and um, so that was the majority of our month last year and that is a choice that we've made because we really want to grow a sustainable business that's sustainable for us as individuals mm. um because we have kids it's really important that we can be around at the weekends so we do predominantly wholesale but we do DIY weddings, um, which is really fun because it means that um, we can either produce buckets of flowers um, and pass them on, or I get to make beautiful bouquets and buttonholes. But I don't have the additional part of going into venues, setting mm. up, taking down, and so on. And then we do a little bit of funeral work, and we do bouquets locally um, and some subscriptions, but fewer subscriptions asked. So we've kind of got three or four outlets for the flowers, which means that I get to grow lots. Um, because I'm not very good at growing five or six of anything. Mm. I like to grow 50, 100 or um, <laughs> things in big numbers. I'm, I'm not very good at sewing. <laughs> so are you using that whole acre yet or, or not quite there yet? We will be moving into the second half acres of that whole acre over the next few oh, weeks. Oh, that's we exciting. To it's really exciting. We did plan to do it over winter, but it's just been busy mm. and last year was a big season for us. We would, so we just had a bit of a rest, done lots of planning and so we're ready to crack on. But that first half acre is packed. Um, so it's packed and we have annuals in one section, mm. perennials at the top with some bulbs, foliage, herbs, more perennials after that, foliage and then kind of a mixture of shrubs um, at the bottom and roses down the middle oh. so that the hope is that we will reflect these roses on the, on the other side so we've got a bigger patch of roses reflect so we have another big patch of foliage on the right hand side of the bottom and then just fill the whole of the top right hand side with perennials and a few more and mm. really exciting. Perennials are the way forward I think you know these days I think so many people are, especially when it comes to like the wholesale stuff because I don't think you can find there's not that many growers yet who are really specialising like in British foliage are there there's still a lot of that bought in there's a lot of it bought in because it takes time yes it takes time and then it takes investment and it's much quicker to grow annuals um, or even perennial flowers really from seed and to have flowers the following season um, and for many of us that turnover is really important and so it's quicker it's cheaper to set up but in the long term and um, the patience that's, and time that's invested in perennials and shrubs really starts to pay off so we started doing that at the beginning we've added a few a few and more this year but we, we've really taken our time and to build that up because it's an investment. What kind of things have you got growing apart from the eucalyptus and your perennial foliage? So perennial foliage wise, um, we have spirea, bay, nepeta, which does kind of a mixture mm. of foliage and flower, and stachys, 
finds the carpets, cosporum, ferns, some herbs again that do the both type pictures. So we grow marjoram, we grow mm-hmm. three different oh. types um, because they flower at different times. They have different coloured foliage. So one has a dark green, one has a lovely limey colour. Um, and the third has a kind of a burgundy line oh. kind of shade. It's lovely. Then as they go to see later on in the year, they're brilliant for reeds and to work as well. So if you haven't cut everything, you still have a use for it. And it brings scents as well. So it's not just foliage. It's foliage and flower and seed head and scents, um, which um, makes it multi-purpose. And I love something that's multi- oh, multi-purpose. Definitely. is another lovely example of multi-purpose. You get a lovely Brokeable silver grey oh. foliage in May. Then it keeps going, so it keeps producing. It's really vigorous. Mm-hmm. It will produce lovely foliage in May and June. And then if you leave it to flower, you get a fire in July, late June, early July, with pink flowers that the bees love. And if you cut that, it's great for drying. Mm. Um, so it gives you foliage and it gives you foliage and it gives you flower. And then it gives you something that you can cut and dry and use. I've never thought about using it for foliage. That has never occurred to me until right now. <laughs> I know. You also can't see this on a bookhouse tip. I call this one the tips nothing. Oh, really wow. It's a lovely oh, wow. dried flower foliage stem. And it's really rigid as well. So the stem's nice and strong mm. but you've still got that movement in the top lovely mm, so pretty really lovely it's pretty and it's silvery so it's a different colour and that silver sprinkliness um, just continues it it's beautiful so we really like things that offer you that potential to use them on mm. more than one occasion which makes growing a lot of it worthwhile and I was going to say for reference to everyone listening Rebecca is currently surrounded by dried flowers because <laughs> I've realised you cannot obviously audio podcast she has dried flowers around her and her background and she was just demonstrating for us and you all you all missed it and I'm very sorry for that but I just thought I'd explain <laughs> but yeah I never really thought to dry so much foliage because I don't know why I, th- I think about it when it comes to you know the status and the flower flowers but not the foliage so do you dry any eucalyptus we dry a small proportion of eucalyptus, but we try and get most of it sold in season. Mm. Um, and anything that we don't sell in season, we into wood chip so that we can put it back onto the ground, partly because of space and partly because it's nice to be able to, once we've emptied the drying room, have it emptied, aired, completely clean. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult yeah. to get in and clean the dry flowers. So just to allow that space before we start filling again in June. So in the UK, what is the what is the eucalyptus season? When does it start and finish? So we start selling in October mm-hmm. and that's because by October our foliage is ready. So it started to harden off mm-hmm. but so we start selling in october and we go all the way through until now so the end of our eucalyptus season is middle of march we sell different eucalyptus at different times of the mm-hmm. year so we have some that are really good early on and ready ready to sell and so examples of that would be things like nikolai's ready to sell early on that's one with a really thin spidery leaf it's, it's really beautiful it gives you loads of movement it's beautiful scented kind of minty apple. I love it because foliage like that doesn't necessarily do so well in the wind and the cold and we grow in a really exposed area we then move on to things like um 
subcranulata, which has got a thicker, waxier leaf arch, right? Um, again, it's got a slightly thicker leaf. Um, it's a nice silvery colour. Um, Gurney Eye is another one that does really well. And we leave things like parvifolia and some of the subcranulata right until the end because it tolerates the weather. Um, so mm -hmm. the majority of our field is incredibly exposed. And because it's not our land, we've really chosen not to invest in a decent windbreak. Um, and that has its pros and its cons. It means that we haven't wasted the cash on land that could be taken away from us. But the downside is that because it's so exposed, we've had gale force winds mm. over the past few weeks and we do get some losses. But overall, uh, the two kind of even out so long as we keep adding young at a regular interval. We just try and plan on that so that we've got different things over the course of the season, um, but also so that we have a bit more hardiness towards the end of the season so we've still got something to sell. So with the eucalyptus, do you uh, you mentioned earlier that you bought some plants from Hillary when you first started out. Is that right. what you would recommend is to buy small plants or do you grow from seed at all? We haven't grown eucalyptus from seed that has been significantly successful. I think that is particular to us and our growing environment. I know lots of growers who do grow from seed and, and have done perfectly well. I think for us there is also the element of space. So because we wanted to have foliage as a significant part of our offering and we wanted to have an offering that went into winter, the number that we needed to grow to achieve that was too big for our covered protective space when you're just starting out. So we have a standard household greenhouse that's 10 by 8 and all of our seedlings go through that. We had a new polytunnel last year that's 20 by eight and that's in feet so it's not huge we've got two beds in it um, and they are packed to the rafters the tiny path down the middle of it has stands in it that have got seedlings sat on them every possible space is absolutely used and we didn't have space mm -hmm. you have 100 eucalyptus trees and it's slow growing right you know it's it's not a to, to get from seed to a plant you can actually use you'd be looking at three three years probably am i right in saying that two to three years you get from seed to plantable outside, you're looking at nine months okay. um, to get from a plant in the ground to plants that you can cut from another two to three yeah, years. Yeah, so it's, it's a long old... It's an investment, it's a time investment and a space investment. I think it's interesting that in the States they seem to grow eucalyptus as an annual. We just don't have the weather to be able to achieve that and I'm not quite sure how they do it. But they, they seem to grow Johnny Eye, for example, as an annual. I don't know how they do it, but we just can't. I've, I've, I've tried to speed up its growing extra water extra feed and it doesn't work and also what we really want is plants that are well rooted and um, that have really strong roots that are going down into the ground to get as much water up as they can so that we don't have to keep supporting them and the more we do that the more sustainable that is because it gives us strong plants that will keep producing the whole minor tuber and they'll keep growing and keep producing for the year on year which means we're not investing that time year on year in growing seeds for that age. So what kind of size plants do you buy in of them then? So we've done a mixture. We've got liners which are not very big at all so they are in a 9 centimetre paper pot and when they come and that's it's definitely the cheapest way to do it and it's so liners will take anywhere from two years to three years to be up to a castable standard. We've also got one one litre plants um, which is a bit more expensive but it means that we've had plants that are bigger going into the ground 
around it. It takes a year to 18 months to start cutting from those if you look after them well. We did buy a couple of 3 of plants and by a couple, I mean two, and those are in our garden. Um, I'm not sure that for us as growers that that is worth the additional investment. Getting one of these plants is the biggest that we would ever grow again, but in reality, most things will be liners because we know that if we look after them, they'll, they'll provide that succession. The other thing that's really nice about liners is that they're easy to get into the ground, so you really need soil that is stubble, sandy, that the roots can go down um, without too too much trouble and the bigger the pots you're planting in the more you need to dig and um, add sand and make the ground easy for them to um, invest their roots in. they, the smaller the better because it's less do you add a lot to your uh, add some sand to your soil or are you lucky enough to be starting off with a sandy soil at home uh, so here at hq we have um quite claggy clay soil we did um, down add extra soil. Where is it? We, I mean, the royal. Throw it weird, but Anthony does lovely thing. It, it wasn't too bad of the job. We did have to dig out 10 tons of soil before we could wow. do anything in the garden because it was full of weed, perennial weed, um, in a big stone thing that our predecessors had left it. I don't know why it's left. And it was full of perennial weed that we couldn't get rid of. So that all went. Was... Do you mean perennial? weed like weed weed no she means weeds i was just checking <laughs> you, it was the way it was the it was the way you said I don't know why it was there because I thought you meant weeds but then you were like I don't know why it was there and I was like oh maybe she does actually mean weed no no no, no not. it's not known for its outgrow growing ability is it I don't know I was like wow a new strain just out in the wild <laughs> sorry no, carry on I mean, we did live in Edingley which was a student area but it was by weed and it was condition it was everywhere but it was a particular bank and I have no idea idea why there was a bank full of soil we had to remove to be able to get anything planted in the grounds and so that was weeks and weeks of digging into the skip to be able to remove that blind weed now you've got lovely, lots of lovely eucalyptus there instead we do we've got lovely gorgeous eucalyptus and it really does change with the landscape and wherever you're working and growing across the year because by the end of season it's time to pollard the trees and so they go from enormous in September, October to gradually reduce its size as you cut from them. And then in March, all the foliage is cut off. They're down to stumps that are hit my knee. And that's all there is. And you can see the whole garden. It's lovely and light. And you can see across the whole field. And um, you can see from top to bottom. And slowly, 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 you get some foliage. It'll burst in August, September foliage. And then by October, there's masses of it. And you can't see from one end of the garden to the other. You can't see from one end of the field to the other. really does just expand and grow and push on that foliage waste in those late summer early autumn months just before it's really to cut i'm so interested in the pollarding because it terrifies me to think of cutting back this whopping great plant for potentially nothing to grow back from it how how, how do you is there a way to make sure it comes back or is it potluck it is terrifying <laughs> it is absolutely yeah and i have a bit of a eucalyptus watch like we do seed watch like everyone else and make sure that things are germinating and i have a eucalyptus watch because as you watch the bark, eventually you'll see a couple of leaves come in. I can't remember what your question. If you ask me, that, that'd be great. 
<laughs> it was just about the pollarding and how terrifying it is. It is utterly terrifying. It really is because you cut down the enormous trunks yeah. and branches and you're left with the stump and there's, there's literally nothing else there. We do try and cut the stump at a slight angle so that water runs off the top mm. and so that it's not just sat on top and damaging our stock. We know that eucalyptus comes from Tasmania and Australia. We know that it's survived from environments where there are fires and floods and, and kind of land erosion and damage and we know that they regenerate. So they have something called a linotuber that sits underneath the ground and that's what feeds them and allows that regeneration to happen. Mm. In terms of potluck, I think it is more about varieties that you choose um, and also looking after your roots. One of the things that you'll see if you come to the field is that we really do mulch our, our eucalyptus really well. Um, so we feed on mute mulch in spring, we mulch again halfway through the year, we mulch again in autumn and we're just trying to keep those roots really warm so that they don't get cold because the trees will cope with them, the, the kind of wood will cope with an awful lot but as long as the minor tuber stays warm and the roots stay warm they seem to come back and look after themselves really well. So that is my top tip in terms of eucalyptus care and we really apply that to pretty much everything so we really look after our soil and our roots and the basis of our plants so that we get foliage or flowers and coming through as the seasons pass. I think that's what I'm doing wrong with my eucalyptus you know I'm not keeping them warm enough in the winter because every year my eucalyptus dies but I'm growing it in a pot. That could be why it's not happy, right? Does it die over winter? Yeah. So, again, going back to Hillary, apology eucalyptus, her advice absolutely is that you don't grow eucalyptus. Well, that's my that's my number one lesson from this. <laughs> So her advice is that for two reasons. One, because when it's in a pot, the roots tend to spiral. Because they're spiralling, they are less sturdy plants. The second is that it's actually harder to keep them moist. So mm. eucalyptus likes water. Despite those kind of hot origins, it grows well here because it loves water. Um, not that it's rained here for the past seven weeks, but setting that as Very dry at the moment. Yeah, it likes water and the cold that we get really dehydrates soil. So over winter, if it's not getting water from its ground and from its pot, then that's probably why it's dying off. And, and it's also really difficult for you to water it because you know that it's going to freeze because it's above mm. ground level. The challenge for you keeping them in a pot. Mm. So my advice if you're going to buy more would be to get it into the ground um, and then to keep the ground nice and warm. If you have space only for it in a pot, you'd be able to bring it into a greenhouse or a tunnel or a conservatory. And it depends on how big it is. Yeah, I tried to do that with it. And then I think I, when I pulled it back outside in sort of March, we had, we had a couple of like late frosts then and I think it just wasn't happy and then started mm. to die off. But I did think about maybe just cutting it and seeing seeing what happens, see if it comes back alive. I don't think there's any harm in giving it a go. I think it's the first day. So if you cut it back and you water it and you feed it and, and you watch and you water it and you feed it and watch and see what happens. Um, if it doesn't come back, then if you buy more water or if you grow more from seed, getting them into the ground so that you can establish those roots and have them going down rather than around and then you should keep them warm and with whatever you're using to mulch and that can be anything from compost um, to really good quality wood chip and plenty of it and remember that's going to rot down into your soil so you're just topping it up. What kind of stuff do you feed them with? So we use a mixture of slow release feeds so we use a little bit of fish blood and bone we use a tiny bit of chicken manure and we only use a tiny bit of chicken manure because that's got quite a high nitrogen 
interesting content in it. And we don't want burst of eucalyptus foliage early on in the season. What we actually want is running water and graffiti supporting our roots. So we were really slightly obsessed by roots. And so we, we just want to be developing that and offering the water. So they're going to look for that water and strengthening our roots. And then after that, um, we foliar feed. Um, so when we first started, we started foliar feeding with the RHS seaweed. We now use a mixture of that and nettle feed so mm. we're making our own really well last year so a dilute family of beetle of nettle solution and, and everything was super happy last year again with that mulch of our roots so keeping the roots warm that's not what's recommended um, but it is what's affordable I think is a balance that needs to be struck between the recommended feeds and which are a lovely balance <laughs> of calcium, magnesium, gem phosphate and all those things but are incredibly expensive to buy and to buy if you are looking at a crop of 150 eucalyptus which is what we have compared to nettles that grow freely in our field and you just oh. in a in abundance there's no shortage of nettles in this country right there's no shortage of nettles um in the field no matter how hard and so we we started using it last year for these partly from a cost but partly so that we can be as sustainable as possible mm. and keep as much on the field as we can so we're going to cut it back anyway because i don't want to sting my bottom when I am cutting that. <laughs> so we're definitely going to be cutting it back, in which case, if we can make a feed from it, we thought we could get a go yeah. and it worked really well and it's really spurred us on this year to see what we can, what else we can grow from our waste products. So whether that be dandelion leaves and roots or the nettles, we've planted some bucking because we know that that's going to give us a great feed. And then we're using eggshells as well. So lots of eggshells and vinegar for calcium so that we can just give roots and foliage and really good cell generation at the beginning of their lives to feed and water and keep them happy. Eggshells and vinegar. Yeah, I've got chickens, so we've got a lot of eggs. Oh, I feel like I need to be researching this chicken and this eggs and vinegar situation. So because I'm a geek, um, I did a YouTube video. Oh, that's that's where I'm going after this. Thank you. I am a geek. (laughs) Um, I like the detail and I quite like the science behind it. So the information or the idea came from Nigel Parker. He has a book on natural amends. Um, so the theory is that we need calcium to grow the roots and, and grow new cells. Fine. Um, the theory is that that's an oscillator, but it's actually quite depleted and it's difficult for plants to take up. So when you dry out the eggshells and add vinegar, it turns it from insoluble version to a soluble version. So it is easier for roots to take up the calcium because it's easier for the roots to take up the calcium. They take up more and it makes them healthier. Hmm. And wow, so wow. we are testing it this year. It's not a scientific process. If my plants are happy, I will do it again. If my plants are unhappy, I won't. But we're using it liberally on pretty much everything. I think the other benefit that we do need to be a little bit careful is that it's acidic um, and obviously our flowers like a slightly acidic soil to grow in. So it just helps to modulate that a little bit. Well, who would have thought it? So that's a, I'm definitely going to go and watch that YouTube video. Thank you. So the last eucalyptus question I've got is pests. Do you find they, there's anything that particularly likes them? Anything you need to watch out for so generally speaking actually eucalyptus is pest free Ooh, we like the um, sound of that so that's another reason interestingly that we are chipping um lots of our wood this year if we can use that as a slug barrier because honestly the slugs don't go anywhere near it and they, they go on everything else in our garden they go near us at the field either so we're really gonna see if we can use that as some sort of slug some magical deterrent, deterrent. <laughs> 
and magical disappearance. Things like green fly don't seem to bother us either, but there's a little black bug. Um, I, I will try and remember its name and email it to you because I can't remember from the top of my head. That seems to prefer the smaller leafed varieties. So things like archery, um, if it's producing tiny leaves, or gunningi, um, diverricata, which produces a lovely small leaf. It's beautiful. And pargophobia, and it just sits on the tip, so it facing me. It doesn't damage the foliage it just sits there and just pretty unsightly mm-hmm. it does get sprayed off and it does come off with a kind of soap and castor oil spray but we found that the more that we feed our foliage and foliage feed and look after it the easier it is for it to fight the bug itself yeah. and that really worked last year so we really didn't have much of a problem with it i just cut off the tips um because there's not much but once it becomes an infestation then it's yeah. much more problematic um whilst i can't say that we're organic we don't use pesticides so mm. once we've got a problem we really have to wait for a predator to come along soon just try and avoid that problem starting in the first place. And one more sneaky question before we move off eucalyptus. But if there is a grower listening who hasn't ventured into eucalyptus and wants to add a few to their patch, is there a specific variety that you'd recommend for a for a beginner? I think that if you are wanting to grow for the first time, the most popular is always anything that's a pure silver because that's what people know mm-hmm. and everything else you can in by education. But the pure silvers is what people are after. Our best growers so far um, are the Glaxons varieties. And um, so Glaxons Tingery does really well for us. I think if you're wanting to grow for the first time, I wouldn't hesitate at all in seeking advice um, from Hilary Hardy Eucalyptus. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because growing it from the seed is good and it works well for some people. But if you grow a variety from the seed that is beautiful in your greenhouse, you plant it outside and it doesn't suit your growing conditions then that's problematic so taking the time to uh, have advice and maybe start with a couple of sure growers i think is worth the effort and it reduces your stress levels Mm -hmm. and there are enough things in the world of flower farming that can give you a sense of angst (laughs) and overwhelm i don't i think it's worth it if you can have the decent advice and a good start from elsewhere it might mean that you have a smaller crop Mm -hmm. but that's okay when you're growing a flower farm takes time it's never going to happen overnight and so taking your time and learning from experience what works for you and what doesn't work is really important and that's not different to what we did so yes we started with 20 trees but they were three of this variety three of that variety three of this variety three of that so that we had a variety of things that we thought would work having had those conversations in that mm our environment we tested them and a couple of them really didn't work for us and so we don't grade them a couple of them really did work for us and so we grew plenty of those and then we slowly added in other varieties i feel like that's an excellent segue into um, talking about your flower farmer's planner as somebody who has bought many diary and notebook in my time i have to say i was thoroughly impressed with what you've managed to capture in this and i think it's testament to you and like how much you want to help other growers is that something that's been important to you you passing on your knowledge and experience and tips to other growers firstly thank you um that's a massive compliment and i'm gonna take that um, <laughs> i take the compliments um uh, that, that's amazing thank you and secondly yes i think because of my background if you strip away the medical knowledge actually it's about teaching and education compassion and empathy it's about holding your nerve it's about risk assessments logistics and 
unreasonable anticipation. So I think all of those things play into anything else that I do. Our flower farming journey is a bit random. I think most people's journey in, into flower farming is a bit random. And one of the things that we found early on is that Instagram is amazing. Um, and I really like Instagram. So I know that lots of people don't, but I really, really like Instagram as a learning tool, as a place for education. I really love it as a place to meet people and make contacts. And it's brilliant as a place to get ideas and to think about other beautiful things that I want to grow. But all of those things are a distraction. Um, so they mean that you're constantly thinking about, oh, should I have done it this way or should I have done it that way? Could I be modifying and changing my plans and that those things stop you from growing? The other thing that I found when we started was that there are brilliant courses out there for flower farmers and nominal books. I love them. <laughs> I work book fire. Women also courses are great, but again, we sometimes ended up with too many ideas and also it was in some ways impossible to translate. And I do mean impossible to translate what all those thoughts and ideas meant for us in terms of what we should grow, what would grow well for us, um, what we could sell um, and what we should be buying. And that's in everything from tools that we need to compost that we buy. And so between those two things, I think growers, especially new growers, get to that place of overwhelm and worry and angst. And all of those things stop you from growing well and also from enjoying the growing. And whilst it's hard work, it's not easy. Fur farming should be rewarding and joyous because we make a beautiful thing and we grow it naturally. Yeah. When we set out to write the planner, I really, really wanted to be able to reduce that overwhelm and give people a structure to set their plan. It really doesn't matter what that plan is, but to set their plan by season and to have something that would hold you to it and to help you stick to what your intentions were so that you follow that through, you gather the information and you observe what's going around you. And once you've done that, you've got a starting point. You know what has and hasn't worked and you know what you are and you're not growing and you know its value in terms of STEM numbers and also in terms of sales. And you can calculate what your expenses and what you need to earn because whilst for many of us this starts as a hobby or an interest, once you're running a flower farm, it's neither of those in the business. Um, and that doesn't necessarily come naturally to any of us and it certainly didn't come naturally to us but there were so many things that you need to think about to know essentially what you have to sell to be able to cover what you need to learn and that's what i loved about it because it got you it gets you thinking about those sorts of things like it might sound like a daft thing to say but i don't know how many people think when they start okay now i need to know how many stem daily a plant is going to produce for me and that many stems costs this much and that's how much i can sell them for you know it's quite a you know like you say, most of us just sort of stumble into this world of growing. Perhaps have never owned a business before, and I don't work in a in a job where I have to think about numbers and budgets and money. So it, for me, it, it, I was like, oh, maybe I should start writing down how many stems are growing, and maybe I should um, start thinking about you know what what I need to do next and break. It. I like how it breaks down into suggests to break them down into smaller chunks, the tasks, and reminds you when to complete your tax return and all sorts <laughs> of the little 
things like that that are just perhaps oblivious to a new business owner i think it's really important to break things down like we've got an end goal our end goal is to grow 50 90,000 stems whatever your end goal is and that's amazing but that's a big task and that breaks down into the seasons so i know that i need to grow flowers in spring summer and autumn well what do i need to grow in spring summer and autumn and what do i think will grow best in those seasons which ones of those are going to give me one stem which will give me maybe three to five stems as a guesstimate when you're starting and what do i need to make those things grow well i need some compost i need some cardboard for my beds and because we don't have a huge amount of time we use ppx i need the ppx how much is that going to cost therefore how much do i need to save from the previous season to add those beds in the future so it really is a question of going backwards be able to go forwards and i think that that sounds really complicated but it really isn't and and, and when you start thinking in that way it means that you break things down into smaller tasks that it's really easy to pick up though so i know that i can go out and water the tulips i haven't watered the tunnel but that's fine i've watered the tulips that job is ticked off my list i know that i need to check on the propagator i'll check on the propagator take things out i know i need to say multiple into the propagator but i just don't have the time to do it now well, that's fine i've emptied the space on tomorrow's list will be so small seeds and it takes away that sense of i have to do everything now if i don't do everything Think now that it's not going to work and i still sometimes feel that but genuinely a day here or there makes very little difference and there's a window of opportunity for everything and that sense of being behind is another thing that i really wanted people to get away from um and and to have a way of learning well if we look back at last year's planner i did it last week i'm doing it this week really doesn't matter yeah a couple of weeks later well in reality as long as you've cut back those roses before march it's okay mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be November, doesn't have to be December, it'd be nice if it was January, good if it was February, but actually 1st of March isn't going to kill the reasons. It's about perspective and that's about understanding when you've done things in the past and when it works and therefore knowing that you've got a bit of leeway and realising that plants are quite hardy. For reference, the Flower Farmer's Planet is a paper planner available from silvergrowfoliage.com and it is essentially year-long planner with some key sections that cover finance annual and weekly planning your field propagation sustainability and business reflection just to give an idea to the people who haven't heard of it yet of of what we're talking about and you do international posts as well on it don't you so uh, any overseas listeners we've got can uh, partake in it as well we do post internationally and it has gone out to the states Norway, Slovenia, and it's been super exciting to produce and to see the planner going to all those places and to know that flowers are grown in parts of the world I didn't know. (laughs) I think what I love about it is, I guess, that you've brought your previous experience and like your way of thinking to a product and then you've made it available to everyone. I think that's kind of what I love about the community that you find in in flower growers on, on social media that some people, like I'm a bit more like you, I'm more like numerical, how many stems will this grow? So how many do I need to grow if I need a certain amount of bunches and I like that yeah I guess it's about offering your input of what you thought would streamline your your processes and making it more widely available I really like that thank you um I think everybody will use the planner in a different way um 
And one of the things that made us divide it into sections was to give people the opportunity to start in different places. Mm. So start our year in August and I'd like to plan out our sections, but I know that some people start in January and will like to think about their field first. Um, other people think about their seed collection and what they have and what they liked growing first. And that's what the propagation section allows you for. And we're all in this to reduce carbon footprints and in one way mm. or another. So the sustainability thinking about that and what your business stands for wants to achieve over the course of the year is there to assist you. The business part really sits at the beginning and the end because whilst we don't talk about it much as flower farmers, money is really important. Like we need money to buy flowers and unless um, you don't need an income, it needs to produce something financially viable to be allowed to allow you to continue doing what you love. And on that note, I feel like you've given us lots of advice and tips, but we do have one last question for you Rebecca which is Sarah's question I get in trouble if I ask this in eight seasons I've never asked it (laughs) go on you ask it don't make me sound like a dictator no 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 I'm not taking it away from you Sarah come on it's your question how dare you make me sound so horrible um so the question if you could give one piece of advice to the listeners about the growing season ahead and it doesn't have to be you know like foliage or planner specific but if you could give the people one piece of advice for the sort of summer to come what would it be piece of advice and i've thought about this isn't about growing at all my piece of advice is get a hobby um, for any of us yeah. growing is where we start as a hobby and it becomes a business mm-hmm. and so that we still love and that we enjoy doing and um, no longer purely about relaxation mm-hmm. so my advice is find something that helps you to wind down it can be flower related yeah. but it should business related with genuine ideas to have something that you enjoy doing that takes you away from the business oh, what's yours rebecca i'm interested so this season um i have two i have started doing yoga uh, which i never enjoy but i really do enjoy it which is and it must have a double effect in that flower farming is hard on the body right um it does have a double effect but in honesty when i'm in a yoga session i promise you i can't think about that it's like random cautions you really have to listen to what the instructor is saying to get from i don't know a to B and I can't name any of those. <laughs> Downward dog is all I know. <laughs> it's capital. And the second is fabric stenciling. Ooh. So my Earth Day, I got a fabric stenciling course. It was three sessions online. I loved it. So that is how I go to spill my... Wow. I'm contemplating stained glass a stained glass course because I had the same thought that I realised everything I do at the moment is about like obligation like I have to work and I have to walk the dog and I have to renovate my house that is you can literally see behind me that the light switch is not attached to the wall currently (laughs) Um, and I decided I needed something that I wasn't obliged to do that I I wanted to do And I've decided apparently yeah. that is that is soldering pieces of glass together. I don't know where it came <laughs> from, but I'm very excited about it. Well, yeah. That'll be amazing. That'll be really fun. We'll make beautiful things. They could be flower inspired. Exactly. Oh, yes. yes. And I also think... I see a new bathroom window in your future. <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> or like, I was thinking, you know those really sweet little indoor mini greenhouses? I could make a little indoor mini greenhouse, grow a little plant in it. What a time oh. to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> 
And that brings us to the end of the episode. Oh, Nicole, you don't have a hobby that you've been. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a collector of hobbies. I well subscribe to the hobby list. I I have a monthly sewing club that I go to. <gasps> I I'm saw. currently making myself a bucket hat. Oh I my mean, God, I love that for you. Come on, I've made a I've made a rucksack. I made a bum bag. I've done all sorts. And with you're going to make Stevie um, a bandana. Remember, you agreed. Oh yeah, I need to make some mm. dog bandanas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I love to sew. I love to knit. Bait. There's a hobby out there. I'm doing it. I actually bought myself, and I need to. Um, it's one of those ones that I'm afraid of doing. A glass cutting kit because when i was on holiday gosh about three years ago in california we went to this um like little belgian restaurant and they had you know how belgian beers i don't know if you're familiar with belgian beers they always come in those kind of like small brown bottles mm-hmm. they don't come in those in like you know it, um, italian beers they come in like massive green ugly bottles and the belgian ones have got such pretty illustrated mm. labels and what they'd done was they cut the top off the bottles and then put tea lights in them and they were these beautiful little things with the labels so I bought myself a bottle a glass bottle cutting wow I want to say machine but it's like a hand thing so I need to get my husband drinking some beer so I can do that so I a beautiful glass is coming out of it well yeah. exactly I actually thought if I could manage the uh, beer bottles I might try some champagne also there's some nice wine bottles around now like some of the yeah, rosé yeah. makers do those oh yes I've got one of those Ones somebody gave of, me yeah one of those faceted ones and i saw someone in america this is a total tangent i saw someone in america bought a rosé in a bottle that looked like a fish and i thought boy do i want a flap to put flowers in that but alas <laughs> too far i also cards. one of my um previous attempts at a hobby was candle making Ooh. so i have all the gear but I no, never I actually did anything with it. Well, I went to the I went to the class, bought all the stuff, and it's sitting there. And um, my husband's like, "Are you ever going to do anything with all this wax?" And I thought, if I cut the bottles, I could maybe fill them with candle wax as well. The only thing um, with my health and safety hat on is. <clears throat> I think candle vessels are like specifically fire resistant not to like rain on your parade or anything <laughs> well it's all an experiment we'll see what yeah. happens do you but... know what I would do with all that wax this is I'm sorry we've really taken this off on a tangent oh yeah if I were you I would um just start refilling all your used candle pots like if you have a nice candle that runs out Bob's your uncle clear it out fill up with new wax budget hacks. well there we go yeah. there we go so on the last final note here if you want to find out more about what rebecca's up to her workshops look for the planner you can find her on her website is silvergreyfoliage.com and that's great spelled the english way with an e and her instagram account is the same so thank you very much for your time today rebecca it's outro time thank you so much for listening and for your support we are loving this season so far And we hope you are too. If you love the episode as much as we love doing it, then we would be so grateful if you left us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also subscribe and you can find us on Instagram for more of our adventures at Let's Grow Girl Podcast. We're really grateful having you here listening to all of our interviews with our amazing guests. And we hope that you carry on enjoying the rest of the season. See you next week. Bye. You sounded really far away when you said that. Were you sat back? Yeah, because I didn't want to shout at our people, you know. <laughs> <laughs>